0: Well, it's great to be back in our class after all of the holidays. As Jim was saying last week before Vladimir got up here. It seems like forever since we've been together, and so it's wonderful to be back together. And uh <clears throat> it's been kind of a at least from my perspective, a lot of a lot of hoopla or a lot of talk about the new series. You know, honestly, it's just like this week and next week, and the series is done. <laughs> it's only like a, a two-part thing, but I'm so glad you're excited about it. But then after that, we'll get into one that's a little longer, and it's funny. Every time I mention, I, I kid you not, every time I mention what the, the series after that's going to be, the, the response is always one word, really? So I'll, I'm going to let you just kind of think about that. And maybe I'll think about it and rethink it. (laughs) Well, New Year's are always exciting. Um, How many of you stayed up to midnight? I'm surprised. Well, I just kind of thought that, you know, we wouldn't. But uh, that's amazing. I'd say about half of the people stayed up. From this class well some people stay up late every night i guess so it's no big deal well some some of us get up really early and so staying up till midnight is uh not exciting it's been that way actually for years from my perspective i remember probably the last time i stayed up till new year's my daughter was very young and she wanted to stay up till midnight and, and do the countdown and i said you know you, we don't really want to do that She goes, yeah, Dad, I really want to do it Please, daddy I okay, alright I said, alright You stay up, do your thing I'll stay up, do my thing About five minutes till midnight I'll come in here And we'll do the countdown together And then we can both go to sleep She goes, thank you so much Well, five minutes before midnight I walk in her room She's asleep <laughs> So I just turned her light out And shut the door and went to bed. In fact, I was asleep before midnight, I think. And that was probably the last time that I stayed up late to, uh, to count down. Yeah, and uh, I hope it really is the last time. Wait for grandkids. <laughs> well, it's amazing how New Year's seems to make such a difference, though, in our minds emotionally. There's actually an effect, a psychological effect, The reality is that it's just another day. I mean, you flip the calendar, and it's just another day. You go to sleep, you wake up, it's just another day. But researchers have discovered that there is a mindset that's called, and this is what they call it, the fresh start effect. The fresh start effect. I mean, it's a real thing, and people really can make changes. It's a mindset that we have that we're more likely to try to make changes in our lives based on things that happen on the calendar, whether it's a birthday, whether it's New Year's, or sometimes it's also it also works when you have major life changes. Like if you want to make a change in your life and you're struggling you like to make a change of habit, change your environment. It really does work. Like move and then you have a you have to force yourself to have a brand new set of routines. But of course, hard realities don't disappear just because the calendar changes. And I did some premarital counseling once back in the day when I was doing that kind of thing. And this couple sat in front of me, just all giddy and wide-eyed with joy and expectation of all that marriage was going to provide them. And And I asked them, I said, tell me what you want out of life. Well, they were just kind of quiet. So I was quiet. I just kind of let the silence, you know, cook their response a little bit. Finally, she speaks up and she says, "Well, you know, I want to be happy." And then he goes, "Yeah." <laughs> and I said, "Well, tell me what's your plan for that happiness. How's that going to happen?" No answer. That was their goal in life and they had no plan for it i think sometimes we have goals that we call hopes that are really just best wishes that we kind of get into this mindset of naive optimism that we're just going to maybe drift into the life we want how many of us have ever drifted into the life we want we don't we drift into the ditch we drift into, into lives that we don't want. Our default is to go in areas we don't want to go. If we want to go in certain areas, we've got to steer the car. We can't just let go of the wheel and say, the will of God be done. God has given us commands and directions and says, steer that way. Don't just drift don't just drift I had uh, I have a friend who he and his wife went to I think it's Hawaii or something and they were snorkeling and they were not aware of the tides that can take you and so you know when you're snorkeling you're not aware of everything that's above the water and so they were snorkeling like 30 minutes later they they raised their heads up and the beach that they had gotten off of was like way down the road and this tide was carrying them they looked it was carrying them like out to sea And so they've, I mean, obviously, they they started pedaling, kicking, and paddling, sorry, (laughs) swimming, and they got back to shore, but it was work. My point is that drift happens. Drift happens. We rarely accidentally get where we want to go. If it's going to happen, it happens because we choose it to happen. Well, let's look together at Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3. We have a lot of scripture on Jesus' birth, and coming out of a month of Christmas, we have looked at most of those scriptures. We've got even more scripture on Jesus' ministry. We've got even more scripture on the last week of Jesus' ministry. But we have precious few scraps of scripture on Jesus' growing up life. I mean, we got hardly nothing on Jesus growing up. We got that incident of him when he was 12, which we all kind of scratch our heads at. And uh, after that, we got nothing. And so between his 12th year and when he was. Um, 12 years old, and next 18-plus years when he was in his early 30s, we got nothing except one verse, which is what we're going to look at. The, uh, some self-proclaimed prophets have decided to fill in the gaps. I don't know if you've ever read any of the um, the pseudonymic or basically false books called the, uh, the Infant uh, books of Jesus or like one particulars called the infancy story of Thomas uh, I mean it's probably on the internet if you want a good laugh look it up and read it but it talks about you know it fills in the gaps this is what happened when Jesus was a boy and it fills in the gaps and there's a couple of stories that I think are pretty funny in it like one time Jesus and Joseph are in the wood shop working Joseph evidently wasn't a very good carpenter and he had two boards, and he accidentally cut one too short. And he needed them the same length. And he tells his son, and you know, King James talk uh, that uh, you know, I need this board to be longereth, or whatever he says. <laughs> and so Jesus comes over, grabs the board, and stretches it. It's right there. Infancy story of Thomas. Another incident in the infancy story of Thomas is when a a playmate of Jesus, a neighbor or something, makes Jesus mad. And Jesus curses the kid and he falls over dead. (laughs) Ha! How'd you like your kids to play with Jesus? (laughs) Mine wouldn't have lasted ten minutes. (laughs) sort of sounds like a, uh, a Stephen King book, doesn't it? How would you like your kids to play with Jesus? No, I don't want to don't make me play with Jesus again. He killed Bobby. <laughs> but I digress. Luke chapter 3 is the fastest way to get you to Luke chapter 2 verse 52. Luke writes long chapters. The end of Luke chapter 2, very last verse, we have verse 52 which is the the verse that talks about Jesus growing up. It says, "And Jesus kept increasing in wisdom, And stature and in favor with God and men. That one verse summarizes eighteen plus years of Jesus' life. Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. This is a descriptive verse on the growing up or the growth process of our Lord. And it's instructive. Because it gives us a picture that Jesus grew as a full person, grew into a full man, a full human. And look at the details of this. It says Jesus kept increasing, he kept growing in four areas. First of all, in wisdom, that's intellectually, in stature, that's physically, favor with God, that's spiritually, favor with men, that's socially. Intellectually, physically, spiritually, socially, Jesus grew. And notice the conjunctions there in between. Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and favor with God and men. He didn't just pick one area to grow in. Jesus grew as a balanced individual, and he grew in all these areas. So. In our uh, wonderful new series here, our two-part series, we're going to look at these four areas. We're going to take two today, two next time, and talk about growing like Jesus, growing as a full individual. And here we are in Luke 3, but if you don't mind, turn to Proverbs 22, and we're going to talk, first of all, about growing in wisdom. Jesus grew in wisdom. He grew intellectually. You know, it's natural when you uh, have a bad leg to to limp and to use your strong one. We all have done that when we've stubbed a toe or whatever. Boy, I stubbed a toe this past week, and you I'm surprised you didn't hear me. <laughs> it hurt, and I was limping out of the room. And I thought, you know what? When <laughs> we got areas of strength, we lean on the strength when we are weak we don't lean on the weak and this is how we are as people too if we are weak socially and strong intellectually we will camp on one area and as a result socially we're weak now god gives us different areas to grow in different ways or to uh, to serve him in different ways i should say but the challenge is also there to be balanced growing intellectually uh, Proverbs twenty-two. We're going to look at uh, look down at verse. Uh, let's see, seventeen. Proverbs twenty-two, verse seventeen. It says this: Incline your ear, and hear the words of the wise, and apply your mind to my knowledge, for it will be pleasant if you keep them within you. We'll pause there for a second. Look at the details of this verse, these verses. The uh, verse 17, incline your ear, hear the words, apply your mind. These are imperatives. These are commands. These are efforts that we make. I don't know if you notice, but uh, people don't become spiritually mature just Accidentally, As we've said before, you never walk up to the mirror one morning and look at the mirror and go, Well, I never intended to be a spiritual giant, but there I am. There it is. Same time, physically, you never just happen to be a physically fit, do you? You never go up to the, mor- to the mirror in the morning and say, Well, look at this amazing specimen of humanity. I'd never thought that this would happen, but there it is. No? If that happens, it is intentional. And growing in any area is like that. Intellectually, intellectually, our minds need to be stretched. We need to continue to press ourselves. And these verses, the details of these verses challenge us that it's going to take effort. Incline your ear. Hear the words of the wise. Apply your mind to my knowledge. This is a specific call, not just to wisdom, but to the words of wisdom, the words of the wise, which are Scripture. We all have the opportunity to listen to God's word. We're doing that right now, but it's our choice whether or not we hear it. It's our choice whether or not we hear it. To apply the mind, to incline the ear, it takes effort. Literally, it says, cause your ear to turn and hear. Cause your ear to turn and hear. It's almost like you're kind of turning and, and listening closer to the words of God. Jesus said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. God gave you ears to hear with. It's what we're to do is to listen to his word. And uh, when we have this kind of a goal, there has to be a reason, or we're going to stop doing it. We're going to quit listening to God. What's the motivation that we listen to God? We're told we stopped about halfway through verse eighteen, but let's look at verse eighteen again and, and complete it. it. Says, "For it will be pleasant if you keep them within you, that they may be ready on your lips." We're told. The result is it will be pleasant if you keep them within you, if you keep them within you. So see, if your goal is to be happy, well, this verse tells us here's a great way to make it happen. Happiness is a byproduct of doing the right thing. Happiness is a byproduct of the goals that you pursue. If we want to pursue happiness as as a life goal, which is really going to be pretty disappointing <laughs> because there's a lot in life that uh, takes us down different, different roads. Then we've got to, as this verse says, incline our ear, hear the words, apply our mind. It will be pleasant if you keep them within you. To keep them within you. Literally, to keep them in your belly. <laughs> now, I won't point any fingers, but, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean the bigger your belly, the, the larger your store of wisdom. It's a, it's a Hebrew metaphor that means that you keep it in your heart of hearts. You keep it deep within you, that you're storing up God's word in your life, in your heart. It's not just a matter of having a reverence for the scriptures, reading the scriptures on a regular basis, but it says you put it in your heart. You put it in the deepest part of who you are. You not only read the word, you not only incline your ear, you hear the words, you apply your mind, and you keep it within you, in the deepest part of who you are. Or, to say it very simply, you memorize it. You learn it. You learn the word of God, that there should be parts of the scripture that you actually have committed to memory. God designed our brains to remember his word. He designed our minds to remember his word, and he designed the word to be remembered in the original languages, at least there are wonderful uh, memory devices built in to the text. you know sometimes the you can see the acrostics in the in the Old Testament. I think Psalm one nineteen actually has it in our English Bible you can see that the Hebrew alphabet is actually at the beginning of every paragraph because every line in that psalm begins with that particular Hebrew letter. And it's, de- it's designed to help memory aid. God wrote the book to be learned, and he created us with minds that could read it and understand it and learn it. Back when I was learning biblical Hebrew, uh, obviously I had to learn the alphabet, And uh, I don't know when the last time you've looked at the Hebrew alphabet is, but it looks a whole lot different than English. And I mean, if you aren't told what sound that's gonna make, you have no idea what sound that's gonna make. It's not like Greek where you can sort of look at it and go, well, probably, that sort of sounds like an E. But you look at Hebrew, and I mean, it's like you know Chinese. It's just, there's nothing there that's familiar. So when I had to learn the alphabet to help me learn it, I put it to a familiar tune. Aleph, bet, gimel, dalet, hey, vav, zayin, chet, tet, yod, kof, lamet, mimnum, tzamek, ayin. It's kind of fast. Pei, tzadi, kof, resh, sin, sheen. Tav is the last Hebrew letter that I sing. Bokertov tov, good morning. Laila tov, good night. Singing makes the learning of my Hebrew turn out right. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Kathy and I taught that to our daughters while we were brushing their teeth. I mean, imagine a little five-year-old singing her Hebrew alphabet with toothpaste in her mouth. It's the <laughs> cutest thing. But to this day, they can still, still sing the Hebrew alphabet because, because it was connected to music. Think of all the hymns that we know. We know those words because of the music. The book of Psalms is a book of songs that they learned because of music. We don't have the music. The music wasn't inspired, which is wonderful that the Lord says, sing to the Lord a new song. But think about how many songs we know that are based off Scripture. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. That is Scripture we're singing. In fact, listen to this. If I can remember it, I'll have to think of the song. In the Lord I take refuge. How then can you say to me, flee like a bird to your mountain? For look, the wicked bend their bows they (laughs) upright in heart when the foundations are being destroyed have to sing it to you what can the righteous do what is the righteous one doing the lord is in his holy temple the lord is on his heavenly throne uh his eyes examine the sons of men psalm 11 and it wasn't completely accurate (laughs) but the song the tune helped me get that much of it uh Singing the psalms and putting God's Word to music gives us a, an assistance to learn it, to meditate on it, to think about it throughout the day. Kathy told me about a, a policewoman that she heard that stopped a drunk driver and asked him to say his ABCs. He couldn't, so he sang them and got it perfect. Singing puts our memory to work. It's amazing. Uh, So you want to keep something in your brain put it to music or if you are an auditory learner you could take your phone and now we can talk into our phones and we can record stuff record scripture that you can listen to maybe on a walk or if you have um, an app or whatever that plays the scripture you can listen to it you know while you're walking while you're driving down the road whatever but god's word is to be memorized and learned in our minds and in our hearts. Apply your mind to knowledge, the text says. It's what the New Testament calls the renewal of the mind. Apply your mind to my knowledge. It's not a casual thing. If you're going to learn something, if you're going to learn something, you are going to put focus into it. You didn't learn your address or your phone number or anything else that you use on a regular basis. you know, casually. It took effort. But once you got it, you got it. And once you learned it, you learned it. And I don't know how many times in my life the, the portions of Scripture that I have committed to memory God brings to mind when I need it. Think about that in your own life. I mean, those of you who have memorized Scripture, I know that that's happened to you because that's why God uh, urges us to do it so that the Spirit of God's got something to work with. God doesn't just bring thoughts to our minds, and we call that the Word of God. God brings the Word of God to our minds, and we know that it is true. And when God brings Scripture to mind, it's almost like God talking to us. It is God talking to us, because He's speaking His Word, and He's bringing Scripture to mind that we may act on it. That's just happened so many times, and uh, it's magnificent to know God cares enough about you to bring his word to mind in a moment that you need it. Several principles we can glean from the text. This uh, proverb, these proverbs, as well as some others we'll look at. But um, we read from this, uh, verse 18, it says, A purpose, that they may be ready on your lips. Here's a principle. Learning God's word prepares us for daily living. Learning God's Word prepares us for daily living. There's times when memorizing is very impractical, like if there's somebody that you rarely call. You just look it up. And sometimes with the Word of God, you could say it's that way. There's no way we can learn the whole Bible, though some people have, which is pretty amazing. There are Jews in Israel that have the whole Old Testament memorized. Amazing. But uh, sometimes it's impractical not to learn something, like uh, simple things, like your address or your birth date or whatever, and Scripture. Like when you want to call home and someone asks you, you know, what your phone number is. Well, now we just tell Siri, hey, call home. You know, I'm not even sure I know my daughter's phone numbers. I just say, hey, Siri, call, I'll do it, or she'll do it. But it's Practical to memorize Scripture. Think about Jesus. Jesus memorized Scripture. The Son of God, the Word of God, the living Word of God memorized Scripture. And when he was tempted by Satan, what did he do? He said, it is written. Every time. That was his response. Every single time was to quote Scripture. When tempted, Jesus made a beeline to the Bible, and which is a model for us. you got... Temptations that you deal with on a regular basis? We've all got our own little brand of them. Do you have scripture that goes along with those temptations? You should. I should. If there is something that you repeatedly struggle with, God's word addresses that struggle. Learn the verses that deal with that struggle and quote them in those moments of need. That's why it's there. Meditating on the truth of the word of God is a very effective way to combat the lies of Satan. Jesus did it, and so can we. Here's the second principle from verse 19. Look at verse 19 first, and then we'll say the principle. So that your trust may be in the Lord, I have taught you today, even you. First principle was learning God's word prepares us for daily living. The second, we see in verse 19, is learning God's word gives us a stronger trust in the Lord. It's going to give you a stronger trust in the Lord. If you don't know the word of the Lord, how are you going to know the Lord to trust him? The more you know the word of God, the deeper your trust is going to be in God. And we need to trust God in life. We can't do it on our own. I like the way the New Living Translation paraphrases this. It says, I am teaching you today, yes, you. (laughs) That's good, because that actually sort of reflects the original. In the original Hebrew, it is emphatic. It says, I'm teaching you, and the you is emphasized, and it's singular. It's not I'm teaching y'all, it's I'm teaching you. Take it personally. I am teaching you personally. I think sometimes we've got too many unbelievers among believers in the sense that we trust Christ for eternity, but not for Tuesday. We believe that he's going to take care of us after we die when we have never experienced anything in that realm. We'll totally trust God for that, and yet somehow we're not real sure he can make it through, we can make it through today. Is your life characterized by fear and anxiety? If so, what verse are you meditating on? to give you a deeper trust in God. Look at verse 20, have I not written to you excellent things of counsels and knowledge to make you know the certainty of the words of truth, that you may correctly answer him who sent you? Here's the third principle, learning God's word gives us a confidence in the truth. Learning God's word gives us a confidence in the truth. As he says here in verse 21, to make you know the certainty of the words of truth that you may correctly answer him who sent you. See, as we wade through the moral relativism of our day in which the Bible is a museum piece, the Bible is another book of opinions that you can take or leave, even among Christians, we need, we are forced to make decisions that affect our lives, and it's got to be based on truth. Upon the, when we have changing opinions all around us, we need something that is not changing opinions. I was talking to Harry before class, and we were talking about various uh, churches that each of us came from, and just amazed at how a particular church that we came from didn't teach the scriptures, didn't emphasize the scriptures. The scriptures couldn't even be found. They had to go to a different building to find a copy of the Bible when somebody asked about it. It's almost like, you know, when Josiah came in to the temple and somebody says, Hey, we found this book in the temple. Oh, that's the Bible. It, it hadn't even been read, it had been hidden to be preserved by some thinking priest that was finally found. Sometimes it's like that in our lives. I grew up in a context where the Bible was revered, we took it with us, but it was part of my Sunday outfit. I mean, I clipped on my little tie, you know, the ties you didn't have to tie. Don't you wish we could still do that? (laughs) Anyway, you, you clipped on my tie, put on my coat, grabbed my Bible. It was part of my Sunday uniform. That it wasn't until I got to a church in college that actually challenged me to do what these Proverbs were challenging us to do, that the Bible transformed my life, transformed my life, and it gave me a foundation for living, for thinking, that transformed my children's lives and, and, um, and other areas of life. These verses are real because they work. Incline your ear, hear the words, apply your mind, if you keep them within you, they'll be ready on your lips, you trust the Lord so that you will know the certainty of his words. Um I, don't, I, I hope that the word of God is a dear part of your life. If it is not a dear part of your life, and I mean, like Moses said, this is not an idle word for you. It's not idle. It is your life, Moses said. It is your life. We don't worship the Bible. We don't worship the Word of God, but the Word of God is the means of giving us insight into the one that we do worship. And if we don't have the Bible, we don't have a means of understanding God. We are left on our own. We are adrift in a boat heading out to sea. We're just at the mercy of every wind. Now, remember, we're prone to extremes, so don't run off and think you got to learn the book of Romans, you know, memorize it. Just pick a verse. Start with one verse that meets a need that you're dealing with. Or a great way to do it, sometimes I'll do this, as I'm reading through a portion of the Bible for the day, if there is one verse that really sticks out, think about that verse all day long. Let that be the one thing that you think about all day long. You might even write it on a three-by-five card. Many is the day that I will come into the room the bedroom at the end of the night kathy's sitting in bed with her light on and her bible and she's got her bible verses she's reviewing yesterday i went opened a drawer in uh at her desk to get trying to find a battery or something and i opened the drawer and these three by five cards just spill out everywhere she had the drawer, the drawer jammed full of her memory cards and i'm thinking where are the where's the batteries She's got memory cards. This is how she does it. She's visual like that, and she does it through constant review. Um, Whatever works for you, but just do something that works. Commit it to memory. Meditate on it. Be able to say, it is written when you are tempted or when you're struggling, and see what God will do with that. Jesus increased in wisdom. He also increased, we're told, in stature jesus increased in stature he developed physically now this is an area we struggle with and you need more guilt like you need a hole in the head so my goal is not to guilt you because i am right here alongside you in the struggle and probably the worst time to ever talk about taking care of yourself physically is right after the holidays because we are fed up literally We are fed up. But I think our Christian culture often sells us a bill bill of goods when it challenges us to grow spiritually or intellectually and just kind of puts the physical part under under the carpet. Plato taught this. Plato basically said something that's called platonic dualism. You ever heard of platonic dualism? Platonic dualism is the idea that Plato taught that the body was evil and only the spirit was good, Therefore, you can either suppress the body or you can indulge the body. You deny the body or you give the body everything it wants because it doesn't matter. The body doesn't matter. Only the spirit matters. Now, we would never say that we believe that, and yet practically often we live that way, that we will pour time and money and effort into developing ourselves intellectually, but we don't give the same commitment to a physical development of our bodies. Jesus grew in stature. Jesus developed physically. And just as the body is ours, so is the responsibility to take care of it. Dr. Ken Cooper said this, quote, our bodies should last us 120 years. The reason they don't is not because of the design deficiency, it's the way we treat our bodies. Thanks. Interesting, Moses lived to be 120 years. He probably would have kept going if God hadn't taken his life. Well, you're here in Proverbs 23. Turn to Proverbs 25, Proverbs 25, and look at verse 16. I love this verse. Proverbs 25, verse 16. Have you found honey? Eat only what you need, that you you not have it in excess and vomit it. Isn't that a great verse? (laughs) Have you found honey? Eat only what you need that you not have it in excess and vomit it. It's a classic case of a good things good but too much of a good thing is not good. It's talking about moderation. Honey's great, but a lot of honey will make you sick. Eat it in moderation. Food is fuel, not just entertainment. And I think a lot of times food can become like this verse. In the sense that uh, we found honey, we found it, found honey, eat only what you need. Don't have it in excess. Don't get to the point of greed with it. Gluttony is always a characteristic of the unbeliever in the Bible. If you notice when you read through the scriptures, gluttony is always a characteristic of un- unbeliever. Paul said in Romans that such men are slaves, not of our Lord Christ, but of their own appetites. He said in Philippians that their God is their stomach. We don't live to eat and drink, but we eat and drink to live is the more biblical way to look at it. 25 to 50% of all adults are on a diet at any given time. Now, this is a bad time to take a poll, so I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. Not if there's anything wrong with it. I mean, the, best, the list of bestsellers always include diet books because we're always needing that kind of encouragement or struggle because diets are just that. They're diets. T- the temporary benefit, and um, then we've got to start all over. The reality is we need a lifestyle, not just a commitment, a short-term commitment. Think about that spiritually. We don't diet on the spiritual life. We don't just occasionally come to God. He's part of our daily life our daily experience. Uh, When we eat food, we do it daily. We do it regularly. It's part of our healthy experience. And taking care care of ourselves physically also should be a regular part of who we are. We know the list of the fruit of the Spirit, don't we? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, blah, blah, blah. Remember the the last one? Self-control. 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 Listen to what Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 4, verse 8. Just listen. 1 Timothy 4, 8. Bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. I read it again. Bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. A lot of times we'll hear that verse or read that verse and think, "Yeah, you know, the body's not that important; it's it's spiritual life that matters." Well, that's not what Paul's saying. He says the spiritual life is more important in the sense that it, it because it lasts forever, and the body doesn't. But when he says um, it holds promise for the present life and the life to come, godliness is profitable for all things. So godliness does that. But bodily discipline is profitable for this life, Paul is saying. And we're in this life right now. So bodily discipline is part of what we should be doing. Jesus took on human flesh. The body matters. In fact, Jesus has a human body forever now. He was resurrected in a glorified human body, and we also are going to be in glorified human bodies. In fact, the body that you are in right now, (laughs) you got it forever, and it'll be glorified. Thank goodness it'll be glorified. And, uh, you know, hopefully it'll look a whole lot better than what we've got now. But you're going to have a human body forever, and the bodies that we have right now are our responsibility. U.S. News and World Report said that the Centers for Disease Control estimate that around 12% of Americans who die each year were killed by a lack of regular exercise. 12% every year because of a lack of regular exercise. You think, oh, that's not that very much, really? I looked just today to see how many people we have in America. We have like 361 million or something like that. That means that we've got almost 40 million people a year that die simply because they don't exercise. See, for others, a lot of people, the challenge is not, not exercising. For some of us, it's not stopping. And here's the other end of the spectrum. Listen to Jesus' words in Mark chapter 6, verse 31. Just listen. He said to them, Jesus said, Come away by yourselves to a lonely place and rest a while. For there were many people coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. Jesus not only made a priority of growing, of being healthy physically, but of resting. Resting is part of taking care of yourself physically. And notice that he did it, he commanded them to do this, even though. Many people were coming and going and they didn't have time to eat. There were needs that weren't being met and Jesus said, "Let's leave them and let's go rest." How can you rest if needs aren't being met? Jesus says, "We're going to do it. We're going to do it." My wife has been so good for me in this regard because I'm one of those people that just decides, "You know what? I'm going to sleep in the grave." <laughs> Why? Why do I need to rest? I got stuff to do. It's just not a biblical mindset, and yet I skew that direction. My wife's been good because she says, when have you scheduled time to rest? Howard Hendricks once was asked by somebody or told, somebody told him, the, dub- the deber- <laughs> let me slow down. The devil never sleeps. And Hendrix told him, classic Hendrix." he says, well, I didn't know he was your model. <laughs> Doesn't that sound just like how Hendrix would respond? The devil never sleeps. The devil's not our model. Jesus is our model. Jesus rested. He told them, come away by yourselves to a lonely place and rest a while. At least ten times, if you look throughout the Gospels, Jesus takes his disciples apart. To rest, And notice Jesus says to do it even though the needs weren't being met. You're never going to meet all the needs. You have to walk away at some point. You've got to establish limits. The best we're ever going to give God are fish and loaves. That's all we've ever got. We never have enough to do it all. You never have enough to do it all. And it's by design so that we can trust God to do so. Now, let's look at one more place in the Scriptures, Romans Chapter 12, Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Gordon MacDonald said, A restless work style produces a restless person. We don't rest because our work is done. We rest because God commanded it and created us to have a need for it. And I'll add that also because God modeled it in the Sabbath... And Jesus modeled it here in the life that we just saw. As you're turning to Romans 12, think about also Psalm 127. That's that one that talks about unless the Lord builds a house, the laborers labor in vain. And then at the end, it says that you rise in vain, thinking that you're going to you know, make it all happen because of your hard work. And then it says the Lord feeds his beloved even in their sleep. That God takes care of us even when we're sleeping. He's the one that provides. Romans 12, look at the first couple of verses, these familiar verses, but think of it in the context of your physical life. He says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. There is growing physically. Verse 2, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. There is growing intellectually. So the two emphasis that we've, we have in growing like Jesus today are growing intellectually, growing physically. Here in Romans 12, 1 and 2, Paul speaks of both. And notice what he says about the physical life. That it is an extension of your spiritual life. By the mercies of God, you present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Here's the final principle that we'll mention today, and that is committing to our physical health is an act of worship. Have you thought about that? Committing to to our physical health is an act of worship. It's an act of worship. Paul tells us it is here in verse 1. Present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. When we see our bodies, our physical bodies, as the temples that they are, that they house the Holy Spirit, that they house our spirit, that we are stewards of these bodies to go as long and as healthy as we can to serve him for his glory. It is a spiritual service of worship. It is an act of worship for our bodies to be treated well, to present our bodies a living and holy sacrifice. That means we take care of it. It means we say no, that we sacrifice to the things that should not be that we should not present our bodies to evil, but should present them to the Lord. Paul writes in Corinthians that we are our bodies are temples. I saw a cartoon. Remember the old cartoon Shoe? It's this bird, and you know, this old lazy-looking bird. Well, this uh, uh, he's he's laying there, and his friend tells him. He says, Shoe, why do you look like that? Your body is a temple of God. And the next frame. Shu says, I always thought it was more like a domed cathedral. Because, you know, he kind of showed this big dome on there. Your body's a temple. Your body is a temple. Don't let the devil fool you. While you're young, we often fall under the lie of thinking, eh, there's plenty of time. Especially when your metabolism is still going 90 miles an hour, and you think, you know what, I can eat whatever, and it doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> How long did that last? not long. When we're young we think that there's plenty of time to eat right and exercise. When we're old we think it's too late. Why do it now? I mean I've lived this long might as well continue on right as you are. No Satan doesn't care. Whether you're too young, whether you're too old, for him it's never right. It's never the right time to start being responsible and he's committed one way or the other to take us out, to make us ineffective. We are just as ineffective if if we are unhealthy than we are if we um, are immoral. Either way, we're out. Either way, we're out. Ken Cooper, once again, the encourager that he is, says, you can add 5 to 15 more years of life if you control your food and exercise. 5 to 15 more years of life. 5 to 15 more years of life. And I might add, if that's true, then that's five to 15 more years of effectiveness for Jesus Christ that we would never have otherwise. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature, in favor with God, in favor with people. He grew as a balanced individual. He's our model. He is our model. So think about this week. Even today, you can think about, Uh, today we've probably been in the word a lot I don't know will you be in it again today maybe tomorrow when you open the word how can I grow intellectually how can I challenge myself to grow intellectually incline my mind to do this and then also think about you know what this body that I live in I need to be a steward of it whether it's how I eat whether it's how I rest uh, I'm a steward that I may be effective for Jesus Christ as long as I possibly can. Let's pray. Father, the Lord Jesus is our model in all things. Though we often skew to simply look at his character and his spiritual life and his wisdom, we also need to look at his physical life, that this was a man that was committed to um to his body as well as to his mind. Luke 2:52 tells us he grew in all these areas. And so Lord, we want to be like Jesus. We want to grow like Christ. And even though for us it is an act, an, an issue of maintenance, would you help us to do that, to be good stewards of the of the temples that we have. And also Father, we ask that the word of God would be more to us than simply a Sunday clip-on tie, that it would be our sustenance every day that we would be in this word to glean what we need for the day, the wisdom that we need to actually live our lives for your glory. Thank you for the life of Christ, for how he modeled so well the lives that we also should live. Strengthen us to do it. We pray in his name. Amen.